spinning back to the open side. Karim Bete, Optical here for Samu, who's quick. Pete Samu looking for Karim Bete. Back to Samu. Oh, that is wonderful. That is wild. That is amazing from the Wallabies. Welcome to Pick and Drive Rugby, where the people's podcast providing a platform for rugby lovers to come together and support the game that's played in heaven. I'm your host, Ando. With me is Mitch and Lockie as well. Very excited to have Lockie with. I wasn't able to be here with him last week. And tonight we will be covering a Super W Round 5 and the Finals previews, Super Rugby Pacific Round 9 reactions, the match of the week, which is the Western Force versus Highlanders, and Lockie's Super Rugby Shake-Up. Lockie, can you give us a bit of a tease about what that is? Because I'm excited to talk and rock the boat. Super shake of uh, pleasure to have you back and thank you for having me on again, both of you guys. Excited to be here. Um, I'm seeing I'm outnumbered with the TARS jerseys, but I am repping a nice uh, Batuta Matabatosauruses, uh, <laughs> Queensland pride across the chest there. Lovely. A very real and very successful rugby union club. Um, but yeah, the super shake up. We had a bit of fun on scrum bags this week, uh, posing a nice shower thought, which is how can you bring the super rugby system and make it a bit more palatable? How can we spice up the product? So we threw a couple of ideas out. Uh, most of which were very poorly received by some vocal members of the community. So I'll get into it a little later on. Well, that means you're doing something right if people are saying that you're rubbish. So I'm excited to see what those options are. But Mitch, the tipping competition continues and we have uh, you still languishing at 139th. Well, I've got to say, I, I got all four games right this week. So if anyone did see us, little social post, I did tip the force. So that got me the four round bonus point which i wish existed but unfortunately doesn't in this format <laughs> so did get all of the points but didn't end up really matting i think i went up seven spots i was 148 last week but well done to jojo rabbit or dan g who's still in first place on 43 points followed closely by s blanco or paul f on 42 points um actually it looks like all three or the top two or three spaces are all within one point so it's really really tied up there um, and mm-hmm. Ferrero Ferjo, would you say? Ferro, Ferjo T yep. um, in third place, also on 42 points. So the top three are really tight and it's only going to be like one or two game slip-ups to see if anyone can move up into that top three. Very exciting. Well, as always, we have two simple calls to action. Firstly, join our Discord channel to be a part of the best Australian rugby community going around. The link is in any of our social media profiles, and it's both something you can do on the computer, but you also got an easy-to-use app as well that you can just install on your phone. Secondly, and lastly, please consider going to ko-fi.com, coffee.com, slash pick and drive rugby and supporting us with a one-off or monthly payment. Every little bit counts because we do this for love, not money. Thank you so much for your support as always. Gentlemen, why don't we jump on into things straight away with getting into the Super W Round 5 and Super Rugby Pacific Round 9. Let's go. Let's go. go. As mentioned, we're jumping into both Super W and Super Rugby Pacific now. So let's start off with the women's game. And it is reaching the pointy end of the season with the regular round complete. And the Rebels were defeated by the Waratahs 0-29. to Force 27, Brumbies 45, Reds 45, Drua 22. Which is leaving the ladder. Off the top of my head, 
it is Waratahs, Reds, Drua, Brumbies. No, Brumbies, Drua in yep. that order because the Waratahs are facing the Drua this coming weekend. So why don't we start with the game? I'm going to start you there, Ando. I just got to say how good what? the Waratahs have gone undefeated in Super W 2023. 5-0. 5-0. How good does that feel, Lockie? Yep. Wouldn't that be nice? It would be nice. It would be nice. But we're two points away from that, and I'm thoroughly looking forward to an outcome where the Reds just pip you in the game that hurts. We're going to get their fingers <laughs> crossed. Yeah, I, I am. Is I am actually worried about that final. Yep. Oh yeah. It, it was a very, very good game there. From I think it was in round three that the Tars and Reds faced off, um, and it, it was a brilliant game, thirty-one to thirty. And it was only that missed kick at the end which led to the Waratahs being able to hold on for the win. Um, but focusing on the matches from this weekend, let's start off with the Rebels versus the Waratahs. Mitch, you were able to catch this game in full. It was, look, 29-0, bit of a nutty run required going around the park there after the game, but it probably wasn't as one-sided as the score suggests. Yeah, look, it, it, the Waratahs, first of all, did really well to be able to come away with the Chockeys in this one. They made a fair few changes to their lineup, um, gave a few players mm. a rest, uh, and gave a few other players their opportunity at this level to see how they would go, and they didn't miss a beat. All players came in, and they played the same style of rugby and the same intent, and few missed opportunities by the Waratahs, which probably could have put the score a little bit further ahead, but they did well as a unit to be able to regather and get back into their structures. The Rebels, on the other hand, some players really stood up. Ash Masters was incredible for the She's Rebels women. Incredible. Had such a great game, but it's unfortunate that there just doesn't seem to be that uh, level of professionalism or skill uh, across the board that a team like the Waratahs have um, in the Rebels setup at the moment. Yeah, Lucky. looking at this game, what were some of the takeaways for you? Oh, I think the takeaway was that it played out nicely and gave the Tars a good chance to rest a couple of their bigger game players before it comes to finals time. And like you mentioned earlier, Mitch, there are some key standouts from the Rebels, but it hasn't quite broadened across the full squad, and we probably see that at times, um, particularly in the inside um, halves. We're seeing a bit of inexperience there. There's plenty of talent. I really like Tagaga. Um, the reserve halfback who came on last week against the Brumbies, she started again this weekend and does a really, really good job from the scrum base. But again, it's the depth down in Melbourne. They are really strong local grown players. It's just about time for them, I think. Yep. 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 Makes a lot of sense. So look, this game was really impressive. I think Tatum Bird starting at nine was one of the best players on the park. She was just really, really impressive in the way that she was uh, looking and scooting and finding gaps in and around the ruck and putting other players in. Um, I think that uh, Desiree Miller's goal kicking is up there with just some of the best kickers within a women's game. She's just got this great smooth action that brings a lot of power and kind of naturally seems to fade the ball off to the right, but she she caters for it and that's brilliant. Um, we had Jacinta Windsor score an amazing That try was so good. Try. Like she just, oh, she kept so going. Good. I was expecting her to get tackled about four different times and she just kept going, weaving around players and just kept finding space. A genuine pace, genuine pace that she was bringing in while still having those massive changes of direction. So that was brilliant to see. Um, and look, I mean, we could highlight a lot of players, but either way, the Waratahs coming away with a 29 to nil win, five wins from five games cementing top spot, which leads them into the semi-final this coming weekend against Fijiana and Drua. Now, why don't we move to that game? And Lockie, I'll throw this one across to you. Queensland Reds 
having a really strong performance, 49, uh, 45 to 22. What were your thoughts coming away from this game? Yeah, look, it was a cracking game. And, uh, and it really shocked me because that didn't always look the case. It was very much in the balance up until a couple of yellow cards from the Jewel started to open things up. There was a brilliant try opening minute or so from the red spinning it wide. And I'll talk about a young winger who's making waves into just a tick. But really, it's 1917 with half an hour to play. It's anyone's game. And it just started clicking for the Reds at the back end of that half, which speaks really, really well for what's going to be a tight semi against the Brumbies coming up. But it's usual suspects for the Reds. Cecilia Smith is playing really, really well at 12. She anchors that team. Ivania Wong's always a live wire out in the left wing. But the player I want to highlight who had a fantastic debut is Elena Young, who's a young winger, played in the 14 jersey and absolutely lit up West Bulldogs Rugby Park. She was unbelievable from the kickoff with a 60-metre run. She scored a second-half try, and she has genuine gas. I'm talking Maddie Levi gas. She is fast. And, mate, that is exciting. I heard some chat. Um, I think I saw some chat on Twitter that she might actually be Australian eligible as well, Um, that there were a few questions or concerns about that previously, but she does actually have family connections, which means that she could be a Wallaroos bolt or at least somebody looking in a national setup uh, moving forward. Before we jump now, off this Mitch, game, the, uh, yeah. the one thing that is plaguing this draw side this year is their discipline. We saw that last week mm -hmm. when they gave away two yellow cards and then a red and allowed the force to sort of take the game out of their hands. Again, this week, they're losing games by the ill-discipline giving away cards. It must be so frustrating for their coaching structure to sort of sit there and, and prepare so well during the week, and then the girls go out there and give away these silly penalties and yellow cards consistently in games. Yeah, it looks like there's something more going on behind the scenes because the, the, the big and obvious change from 2022 to 2023 is that there's been a significant amount of turnover within the squad. I think it's like nine or 10 players or something like that have been retained from last year to this year. Don't quote me on that. Um, but either way, there's not a large amount of players going between the two. And so the team that we're seeing this year is fundamentally uh, not the same as last year. And so why? Why are there those changes? And Mitch, there was something that popped up on social media today that um, again, speaks to maybe some of the behind-the-scenes challenges that the team is having to face that we may not be aware of. Yeah, I saw a tweet just before we started recording from Britt Mitchell of ESPN fame, um, basically highlighting that Fiji rugby aren't paying for the Indrua's team meals, and I assume their accommodation at this point is uh, paid for, but there's real questions around fans having to chip in and pay for the, the meals of the girls after games, breakfasts before games and trainings and that they sort of seem to be a little bit let, left in the lurch at times just in terms of their preparation. Now that really throws real questions into their validity in this competition if they're, the Fiji rugby aren't able to sustain them and, and back them for those basic necessities like accommodation, like food, to really prepare themselves right on game day. Yep. And I mean, Lockie, looking into this situation, what's your read or gut feel on what's happening with this Drua team that we really expected much more of in 2023? Well, yeah, I mean, without knowing much in depth about the situation, it is clear what we mentioned before, that there is that mass turnover and the star power from players like Nia Kore, who were really pivotal to the Drua success last year. We're not seeing them on the paddock. And I'd love to know why. I'd love to know more about the machinations of that. With regards to Fiji rugby support, I think it's probably going to take some time before we're finding out exactly why that's happening. But it would be a massive blow 
to the Super W sort of setup that's currently in place and also prospects of merging with Super Rugby Old Picky if we don't have a strong Fijiana. I think that adds so much to the competition. You saw how impactful they were last year, both from a, a style of play and the fan base that they bring with them. I would really hate for something to happen to them down the track. So fingers crossed that can be resolved. Here's hoping. So, Lockie, staying with you then, Western Force 27, Brumbies 45. Gutsy performance from the Force, but the Brumbies were too good. Oh, the Brumbies' first half was exceptional. So I went into this game thinking, look, Force are at home. Brumbies have been patchy there and thereabouts. Maybe the Force can make a bit of history. And the Brumbies came out, two tries in the first 10, four up after the first 20, and before you knew it, it was 35 zip. So really, the Force were never in this contest, no matter how hard they tried. And they fought back from 42 to 7 down, and it was a respectable finish at the end with 45-27. But power to the Brumbies pack, they were dominant. And Amy Rule, Blackfern International World Cup winner, final hero with a try, she has been integral to that success of the Brumbies. So. I'm, I was gobsmacked, really, from 35-0. That's an amazing start and bodes pretty scary futures for the Reds coming up against them in a semi-final next weekend as well. And that's exactly where I was going to go. Mitch, who is your pick for the semi-final? Reds versus Brumbies, match to be held at... Uh, it's the second game of the semi-finals happening Sunday, Concord Oval, 3.35pm with the Waratahs and Drew beforehand. Who do you think is going to get up between the Reds and the Brumbies? Oh, I can't go past the Reds at the moment. Uh, the Brumbies have finished their season really strong, like Lockie was just saying, but the Reds have had a really strong 2023 all up. They pushed the Waratahs and... This is probably the, well, this definitely is the strongest Reds team that we've seen in Super W history. So uh, they pushed the Waratahs so well last time. I can confidently see them beating the Brumbies this week and pushing the Waratahs or even taking the victory next week, the final week um, in Townsville the week after in the Super W final. Look, genuinely not trying to do kind of New South Wales, Queensland um, bias, but there's part of me that would love to see a bit of a changing up of what has been the traditional rivalry of New South Wales-Queensland to see if the Brumbies, if they were able to get that win, it would just be so good for them as a team and organisation to be able to have what would be, from my understanding, their first ever finals appearance within the Super W competition. So there's, there's that kind of element of storyline that could be great to hear as well. But Lockie, I'm assuming I mean, you're there is, going so for a Reds there win. Is, there is that, that storyline that would be great. But I think when you look at the actual performance that the Brumbies put in against the Waratahs a few weeks ago down in Canberra, they looked just, mm. it was a different level of class that the Waratahs were at. The skill execution um, that the Brumbies were lacking didn't allow them to sort of get into that game. They have improved on that, but I still think the Waratahs uh, a step ahead and the Reds this year have been the only team that realistically has pushed the Waratahs in that in that um, that area so that skill execution and that ability to apply pressure for prolonged periods of time so I still think even if it was a New South Wales Waratahs and an ACT Brumbies final I think the Waratahs would win it quite convincingly. Lucky your read? Yeah, it's a funny one. The Reds and the Brumbies Super W game a couple of weeks back at Suncorp, which was the thunderstorm interrupted one, was a lot tighter than people read into it. It was 20 to 10 uh, from memory and a couple of really big individual tries from Brianna Dascombe was the difference playing at 13. So in that game, the Brumbies got into a really good tussle and that's where they're strengthened. They've got a really strong pack. 
and you've got people like Grace Kemp at the back running around. Jake Hirawhite, nine, steers them really well. Yep. So I think if they can drag the Reds into an arm wrestle, it's going to be close. It'll be a single-digit margin again. But my gut feel does say the Reds, they've been playing exceptionally well. You've got a Shannon Parry at the front leading well. You've got a big pack as well. And I think that's the likeliest outcome we could see that yep. New South Wales, Queensland rivalry ignited again. But tell you what, I wouldn't just shut up the Drua yet. There could be something there. There's a couple of offloads, a big confidence game. Who knows? Who knows? Like they're a team that can pull something out of the bag. Uh, but yeah, I think let's leave it on. Let's leave it there. And we'll talk about moving forward. Both semifinals are going to be played as a double header this coming Sunday, the 30th of April at Concord Oval in Sydney. The Waratahs versus Fijiana and Drua is going to be kicking off at 1pm with the Reds and Brumbies at 3.30pm. So my intent is to try and get there. I've got a weekend with my boy camping, but we might uh, cut that short and come and watch the Waratahs women again. We've tried to get out there as much as we could this season. Um, So ladies and gentlemen, everybody watching and listening along, please do your best if you're in Sydney to get out to these games and give the women the support that they deserve. So... With that finished, uh, why don't we move into the Super Rugby Pacific and we'll quickly, quickly... Well, actually, no, I'll hand it over to Mitch from here. Yeah, I'll, you're I'll run through this, section, Andy. You, you take yeah, a, you you take a rest. You've I've done well. a lot. It's your turn. You've done Thank well. You. All right, so we'll, we'll run through the results from round nine. Again, another round of buy interrupted uh, play. Only four games again this weekend. We'll chat around our thoughts on the buys and, and potential uh, fixes to that issue a little bit later in, in Lockie's segment. but. Uh, starting off, we had the Chiefs uh, hosting the Indrua. Now, they did come away 50-17 victory there. We then, uh, on Friday night, had the Rebels hosting the Crusaders. Scoreline doesn't necessarily flatter the Rebels, but this game was a lot tighter than the scoreline really does suggest. So 27-43 to the Crusaders in that one. We then went across the ditch, and the Waratahs got absolutely pumped by a Blues team that was looking to make a, a, a statement, which they did 55-21 to there. And then the upset of the round, the Western Force, my new team, the boys from the West, uh, the boys in blue, 30-17 against the Highlanders there. The pride of Australian rugby and everyone that I've spoken (laughs) to is now a a Western Force fan and everyone's up and about for rugby again because the Force got a victory. I actually heard that... um... Rev Evans from um, Rugby Fixation. He has renounced his Queensland rugby membership and has decided that he's going to be getting a force membership for 2024. He's drunk the Kool-Aid, loves what Simon yep. Conn is doing over there um, and thinks, yeah. I mean, there's even there's photos circling that around on Discord server of Rev walking around this morning, even in Brisbane, uh, in a Western Force shirt. So there's yep. big things happening. Yep. Big things happening. Um, Mitch, where are we going to go from here? What do you want to do? Well, we've Talk got, through we, each of the games? The, um, we've got the three Australian teams that have played games and we'll focus in there, on them in a little bit more detail. The, the fans' vote this week was the Western Force versus Highlanders as the game of the round. So we'll spend a little bit more time going through that in detail. But just to quickly get your thoughts on the Chiefs and in draw game, uh, did you boys both get a chance to watch this one? I did not. Lucky. I managed to chew through the mini, um, which is good because I didn't need to spend more time on it. It was exactly as you'd expect from a travelling Fiji side to Hamilton. Uh, brings up the bat with a 50. There were some excellent tries from both teams. I'll give the Drua that. Uh, Tavini Canavere at hooker, unbelievable season so far. He's been really, really strong. He gets around the paddock nicely as well for a big lad. 
And it's been really good to see, uh, from a Queensland perspective, um, see um, Elisa Drossese head across back to the Drua and be really successful as that back three utility. He scored an excellent try in the second half with a bit of interchange with Deceva uh, Tamani. And I'm really impressed and glad to see that he's still playing. But at the end of the day, 50 is a big score and the Chiefs are not dropping the ball in the wet either. They're tossing it around left to right. Sean Stevenson, Damian McKenzie, Aroni Sal, they have a very, very potent back line, as we know. I guess this goes to point uh, another point that the Chiefs have made this season. They're, they're currently sitting first on the table, haven't lost a game yet. They really are starting to look the goods, aren't they, Ando? Yeah, they really are. They've been that team that have just been consistent with their performance. And they haven't had any major injuries that have to, to key players that have kind of derailed some of the other teams, like Sam Whitelock going down for the Crusaders for three or four weeks was um, fairly significant for them. And they've just got that ability to be incredibly abrasive up front, but then the speed and execution of their backline play has just been incredibly, incredibly pronounced this season. Uh, glad I picked up a couple of their outside backs in my fantasy draft because they are paying dividends, let me tell you. <laughs> we won't go any further into that and ask where you're sitting in the <laughs> comp at the moment, Ando, but well, let's move across to the first Australian game of the weekend, and that was the Melbourne Rebels hosting the Crusaders at home on Friday night. Now, the scoreline was 27-43, I've just, I can't remember what the half time score was off the top of my head, but the Rebels were ahead and they were quite convincingly ahead. Um, so, 24 to 12. 24, yeah, yeah, so they were doing really, really well. What were your thoughts of that first half, Lockie? Excellent For, is the simple way to put it from the Rebels. They were really grifty around the ruck as well. So we saw a lot of go forward from their big boys, their Lucy's. Um, Josh Kennedy got through a heck of a lot of work. So does Brad Wilkin flopping the red mullet around, having a good time. Um, and we saw that after 16 minutes where you'd expect the Crusaders to maybe get their early points and start spreading it across Melbourne, we had the intercept and that changed everything in that first half. Josh Kemeny gets a big hit on Harvili. Um, Big Akalzi runs 90 metres, outsprints Moanga and the covering Crusaders back three, which is a hell of a job to get all the way down there, the big tongue to finish. Um, but really from there, we saw a second half probably of what we expected and of the Crusaders just getting that upper hand. Mate, I got a message from a friend of mine. He's a big rugby league fan, but he's kind of like a sports guy. Keeps his, he's always aware of the scores within games. Half time sends me a message and says, live bet, put money on the, put money on the Crusaders. And I didn't, I should have, not encouraging gambling, but you just knew that the Crusaders were going to come back into this game. And as good as the Rebels were, within the first half, they're not the finished product yet. And we've seen it from them before where they just cannot hold on to the lead. Now, admittedly, against the Blues, they lost both of their starting, well, both of their hookers. So that was very different to the circumstances within this match. But I think the Rebels, sorry, I just had a massive storm currently hit. Um, the Rebels have obviously going to take a lot of confidence from that performance, but mate, they are going to be asking some pretty hard questions within the coaching box about, or within the team really, about what it is that they need to do to make sure they stop having those second half fades. Yeah, it's really concerning for a team like the Rebels that they looked to be well within their sort of structure and their um, ability to kind of roll with the punches that the Crusaders were throwing their way in that first half. And 
to their credit, the Crusaders were making a lot of pe- uh, mistakes, but the Rebels were forcing them into it. Their line pressure, uh, tackling players, the, the ability to get up in their face and, and pour, force the pass and uncharacteristic at times, the Crusaders taking the wrong option, putting the ball uh, on the toe when they probably should have held it. Those kinds of things are what we so often don't see from Australian super rugby sides. And it almost felt like in that second half that the Rebels kind of were shocked that they weren't able to themselves to continue that pressure. And that's when the Crusaders started to click. Uh, And again, like we talk about it all the time, the Crusaders being a championship winning side, but their ability to know when things are going wrong on the field and find ways to fix it is just something that we just don't see from pretty much any other team in the competition at the moment. I'll just jump in really quick because you mentioned that championship element and knowing when to strike and when to turn things around. You get 61 minutes in is when that yellow card gets handed to Akazu. And I know I'm butchering his name. I apologize. Ekuwasi, isn't it? I think. Ekuwasi. Thank you very much, Mr. Ekuwasi gets pinged for the yellow. To my mind, Reese Hodges on that ball like a limpet on the line. And if that turnover doesn't happen, and if Richie Moanga isn't in Ben O'Keefe's ear saying he's got to go, he's got to go. And it was a delayed message as well. He really got the card out late. Yeah, he did. I reckon we see a pretty different finish to that half. But everything changed after that. And I was, I was gutted personally for the Rebels to see them concede that bonus point at the end because they did deserve better than that. They really did. Like, I mean, to say you can't take the victory away from the Crusaders in saying that they didn't deserve to win because they did come back and they got the lead. But for the Rebels to not even get a losing bonus point was a bit hard considering how well they had played in that first half. Um, second game of the weekend, our boys, we'll, we'll talk short on this one because it was pretty much, there's not many highlights really. 55-21 no. to the Blues this weekend. Ando, we'll start with you. You seem pretty disheveled and, and upset. What were your thoughts on this game? Oh, look, it was just a rubbish, rubbish match. Um I love the team, keep supporting them, love you boys, but it was a pretty poor performance, a lot of changes, um, some of it Wallabies resting, some of it, um, yeah, through injury, but it was not a strong performance up against one of the best Kiwi teams. Uh, Good to see a couple of players kind of come back, Charlie Gamble got in second half and kind of got through the game without any further injury, so it's good to have him back into the team. Really nice to see um, Michael Isley come off the bench. I saw him when he was playing uh, in the preseason games that the Waratahs did against the two Shoot Shield teams, West Harbour and Two Blues, yep. I think. Um, yeah, I can't remember which. I think it was West Harbour. Um, no, he was playing for the Waratahs, sorry, against those teams. And he was great. He was a standout player at that point. So it's good to see him get a run kind of from the Shoot Shield. He's Eastwood, plays for Eastwood. Um, so yeah, look, some positives of players getting kind of experience and the like to come from it, but I'm really just trying not to pay attention to the fact we got spanked by 34 points. Um, yeah, let's move on. (laughs) (laughs) Lucky, did you have any takeaways from this one? Any positives at all for Waratahs fans to cling to? Oh, positives. I really like, um, Vailano at Hooker. I think Mahe does a really good job and he's a nuggety sort of character, gets over the ball well. Um, it seems like we've got a lot of strong mauling and try scoring hookers and that set piece continues to be that issue. But I really like what I'm seeing from him. Uh, as positives, I don't have a heap. <laughs> if that's probably the only one. I just thought it was ominous seeing the kickoff and watching the Blues maul 40 metres just about off the first kickoff and just thinking to myself, ah, oh, it's going to be a long day. 
and it, yep. it was it was they broke um the tars out wide a lot i i thought unfortunately after a really good game last weekend izzy parisi got exposed a lot defensively um particularly on his um defending out to his right getting outflanked um so just head down balance for the tars because i do want to see more aussie teams in the finals currently the force are flying that flag so let's get a couple more in too <laughs> Yeah, it, it was frustrating as a Tars fan to hear the like Darren Coleman was interviewed by the uh, the New Zealand media right before kickoff, and he was talking about you know we want to be physical, we want to play a tight forward dominated game. If we can match them there, we can probably hang with them. And then, as you said, kickoff they roll through straight through them forty meters in a mall. It's like did the forward pack even show up? So that was uh, questionable at why they were just so soft in that area. Um, what were your thoughts? I'll, I'll throw this ando to you. What were your thoughts on the sort of no no review of the HIA contact on Harry Johnson Holmes? Did you think that deserved to be looked at a little little more? Yeah, I mean, every time a player goes off for a HIA, sure, you're looking at the hit that makes them need to go off for said HIA. Um, so yeah, look, I I find that process a little bit confusing about yeah. how something is determined about whether or not it gets reviewed. But also, maybe it did get reviewed in the background and um, was something that the match doctor did have a look at or the TMO did have a look at. And we I did hear Jake Gordon in, in the ref's ear asking if it was going to be reviewed and the ref did turn to him and say, no, it doesn't need to be reviewed. And on replay, it did look like, uh, who was it? Was it um, Twonga Farsi, one of the props that came through and he made a, it was a bit of a tucked arm dive at at um, Harry Johnson Holmes' head. Oh, no, I do remember that tackle. Yeah, so Harry Johnson was falling pretty significantly in that tackle from what I remember. He'd, he'd had to, like, reach out to get the ball or he was, like, in the process of kind of he'd lost his... Yeah, he was um, sort of falling forward yeah, to regather the ball. So I wonder if that was, um, yeah, enough mitigation for nothing more to be done with it if it got looked behind the scenes or if they just saw at the moment that Johnson was falling, so there's not much that could be done. But I guess if you look at it from like a couple of years back, even when they're falling, that's not bloody enough to stop Aussies getting like red carded or something like that. Well, yeah, for um, me, like the, the fact was, it, was it, it looked like a bit of a tucked arm that came through, like there wasn't a wrap. And so even if he didn't end up hitting mm. Johnson Holmes, it was sort of the lazy hand following through that ended up clocking him in the head and so i wonder if he had actually made contact if we're looking at a no arms tackle low but again those so headline headline cheating kiwi steal waratahs win against the blues uh that's that's the thing it wasn't waratahs being crap it was everybody else being uh 100 percent endo you read it perfectly uh western force 30 highlanders 17 we're all good we're back we're on air we're all good do you want to run through this one, Ando, or are you happy for me to keep driving the ship? Mate, I'll go this one. Um, give your voice a rest. So this was the highlight of the weekend from an Australian rugby perspective. Um, 30 to 17 win by the Western Force over the Highlanders. And look, I said it on our Twitter account after the game, but you're welcome, Force fans. You're welcome, Australian rugby. Because of our interview with Simon Cron last week, that's provided all of WA and particularly the Western Force with the, um, with the enthusiasm, the encouragement and the knowledge that they are getting better together. And we saw that here on Saturday night, I'm pretty sure it was. So 30 to 17, great game from the Western Force. Interesting. Um, genuinely, I'm not just being annoying here, but Lockie, looking at this match, do you see this as more the Western Force were, particularly within the second half, really strong and effective within the match or do you think that they were allowed to get away with it because of the Highlanders errors and their poor play within the game 
Oh, bit of column A, bit of column B. I don't want to suck too much life out of the force after what was a really <laughs> exciting win for them. But I mean, three yellow cards uh, back to back to back, just about weren't they for the Highlanders? Mm-hmm. Really sucked a lot out of them in that middle patch. So we had uh, Popo Parkinson goes in the 20th, DeGroote goes a minute after, Mikhaili Tu'u goes as well. And they're pretty, they're 50 50 calls. I'm not saying that they were the wrong calls, but they were tight calls, all of those yellow cards. Yeah. So I think there was probably, from the Highlanders' perspective coming through, a fair bit of on-field angst and frustration as the way that the game was turning and that the force were probably getting a few lives and getting the rub of the green at times. But look, take nothing away. We saw Bryce Hegarty wind back the clock with some fantastic feet. When have we seen him step like that? Left Mitch Hunt for dead. It was fantastic. Mate, and he nearly um, left himself for dead as well. He barely got oh, on the line after that step. <laughs> poor bugger. But I mean, he kicked really well. We saw big go forward um, from the likes of Tim Ansey, from Felix Capullo. Um, I, was, I was impressed with the force across the park. And really, that's the game that they needed to win if they're to show that they're a genuine, at least finals qualifier. We're not going to say finals contender and pushing for a granny, but that's a big feather in their cap, I'd say. What do you reckon, Mitch? Yeah, I'm just laughing. Yeah, this is their year. Let's get excited, Force fans. Come on. Let's talk them up. We've won one game. We're going to win the comp. No. Uh, but- They're going to make the finals. <laughs> Woo! Yeah. No, in all seriousness, I, I was really impressed with the Force's ability to overcome some early onset diversity. So those two HIAs, like in the first 20, 20 minutes of the game, um, who was it? The number seven, is it Ollie Callan? Ollie went Callan went off yeah. in the first minute straight to hospital. Um, haven't heard word yet on how he is, but it looked really bad. And um, there was a lot of concern for him after the game from Simon Cron too. And then Tony Pulu follows later with a um, sort of almost self-inflicted HIA as well, smacking his head on the back of the ground as he, as he takes a player to takes a uh, tackles a player. And, and, you know, some, sometimes teams when they lose players of that caliber can sort of, lose their way a little bit and the force to their credit didn't do that i could see the simon cron was in the coach's box and he was barking orders and giving the team the direction that they needed um he did mention in the post-match press conference that there were some messages that weren't sort of coming across the field and implementation that they wanted to to improve on in the second half that didn't sort of it took a bit longer than they would have liked but the force hung in there they they stuck to their structures and they keep applying pressure to the highlanders which was really good to see as our match of the round, it means we are going to take the time to go a little bit uh, deeper into the detail of this match. So let's look at the first half in particular. And Lucky, what was it that the Western Force were able to do that really enabled them to get to that strong lead at the end of the first half? Well, for starters, they were able to play expansively and not in the sense that they're throwing it left to right and just trying to run around people. They went to your classic punch and spread. Any junior coach or junior player would have heard that expression to death in footy, but they were really effective in hitting in tight, close to the ruck, and then Bryce Hegarty was unloading, um, especially right to left, and they were finding space out towards um, Mata Ele and the likes of Sam Spink getting a run, Hamish Stewart finding space, Chase Tiatia injecting himself. So they were really effective. It was a simple game plan, but it worked. And we saw that as that pressure built with Parkinson and Negrit going off, that's actually when their structure started fading. They started getting too excited from what I could see. So you're 20 minutes in and you suddenly got a two-man advantage. They didn't score until the very end of that passage of play. They got excited. They started trying to throw it wide straight away, backing their scrum, and it took that counterattack, finished off by um, Mataele, to really establish that lead that they should have built with the players off. 
So I think what we saw from the force is that they can play well, but they get a little overexcited. And maybe they had that sniff with the players off and just started pushing the pass a little when they're a team that thrives from what I see on attacking structure. What did you see, Mitch? Yeah, I think one of the things that we're starting to see from this fourth side is like there's green shoots emerging. They're quite a young and experienced side. If anyone listened to the interview with Simon Crun last week, that was one of the things that he, he spoke about, that even their experienced players aren't experienced super rugby players. They don't have a whole bunch of test caps or super rugby caps to kind of bring to the team. So even though they are playing the style of football they want to play, they still, and he the term they use is rugby brains. They're not making the right decisions at the right times in the right context. And that's something that off the field, they're working really hard on. And I think we started to see that, started to progress this game. And it, it was great. They did get the, the, the outcome there. I think a harder team like most of the other teams in Super Rugby probably would have punished them for the mistakes that they were making and probably overturned the, the decision at the end there and, and got the victory themselves. Um, but it was great that the force stuck to their structures and were able to get the win. And Mitch, that's a really important point that you make there because um, I don't have the... Who has a halftime score? Anybody have that in front of them? Um, uh, 20 I to 7 to the... Oh, wait, no. 27. Wrong, wrong game. That's the Blues. No, wrong game. Team. All right. Either way, either way, coming into the break with a pretty significant lead, which the Western Force did have, the Western Force start the second half by giving away two penalties, allowing the Highlanders to march down to their end of the field and then get a try to Conagard and Bashup in the 44th minute. And so immediately, just immediately, they have started the second half in the worst possible way. And I personally was just thinking, well, here we there go. There it is. Here we go. Yep. There's the typical Aussie rugby thing of just doing some dumb, easy penalties being given away. And so Michael Wells was talking about that in a post-match press conference where they were speaking specifically about how the message that they were putting across and he as the captain was putting across um, in the first 20 minutes of that second half was, the Highlanders aren't actually throwing anything amazing at us. We are just simply making too many errors that we can control, but we're not. And we're allowing them back into the game. We need to be better at that. Lockie, is that how you saw it? And do you think that a team other than a Highlanders would actually have been able to convert some more of the opportunities that were had, noting that Mikaeli too got held up over the line twice as well? He did. And also there was that fantastic um, Albert Messi tackle on Shannon Frizzell where he knocked it over on mm-hmm. the line. And they're all around that sort of 60, 50, 60 minute period um, where really the Highlanders could have found themselves two or three up. And at the end of the day, you probably look at the Highlanders who still, are, while a very good team, are at that bottom level for New Zealand supersides. And you go, if they've got the strike power or someone directing like a Moanga or a Bowden Barrett, with finishes out wide that are more experienced, you're probably looking at them running down similar to the Rebels Crusaders game. But I don't think you can take away from that scramble that we mm. saw from the force at the end, that desperation and those two moments in particular that you raised with Michele too being held up. That sparked it. We saw some big runs from Tim Anstey starting to break three as he does in those later stages with the sevens body. We saw um, some fantastic scramble across the park. Um, from Tom Horton when he came back on as well, yep. who ended up on the side of the scrum. So that desperation kicked in. Yeah, how good How good for the big fella. Um, so I think maybe it was just a case of belief, as it so often is for Aussie teams, when you find yourselves up and you psych yourselves out of those trans-Tasman games. When those tries didn't come to fruition for the Highlanders in that midway point, that's when we saw the force go, hey, we're still in the lead. We've got this game. 
and that belief carried them across the line, plus a couple of very well-timed and minute-plus penalty kicks from Bryce Hegarty dragging that out as well. <laughs> it's interesting that um, you mentioned that around that sort of belief. Uh, in the commentary or in the, yeah, in the call, um, John O'Lance was talking a few times around the body language of the Western Force, so the heads were starting to dip when the, the Highlanders were getting in their 22, were applying, were applying pressure and starting to um, catch up to their, their lead. And he, he mentioned it a few times, like heads are going down here. You can tell by the body language that the the uh, force are no longer sort of confident of what's going on or their own ability. And it was only when one or two players, like you said, did something, held the try up or or got it forced a turnover that the heads started to rise again and their body language lifted. And I think it's a massive point that you did say that that's something we don't often see in Super Rugby, particularly from Aussie sides, that ability to get out of their own heads and say, well, we actually did turn that ball over. We did. We're still in this. We're still ahead on the scoreboard. Let's yep. not let's not drop our heads and let's not just expect the the narrative to go the way it has for the last twenty years. And mate, that just speaks to so much of what was said earlier about it being a younger team, about lacking the experienced players who have had uh, significant injuries throughout the season. Um, it's it is obvious that you're going to have these moments where everything kind of comes together and a couple of centimetres are between um, Mattielli getting his hand and knocking the ball out or, or getting his hand underneath the ball, whatever it is, and that being a try. And so I think we need to be careful that we're not trying to claim this is some type of like massive turnaround match for the force and the, the season's going to be kind of green shoots of life from here. But what it shows is that on their day, the force are a team that can take down a Kiwi team that doesn't have a good performance. Um, and when you take away both Aaron Smith, who was on um, absent from the game for bereavement, uh, and Falau Fakatava, who I think was injured, yeah, or either way injured. didn't make the trip. Yeah, didn't make the trip. It just took away some of the direction and energy within their team. And I'm betting that if the Highlanders had Aaron Smith at the helm, they wouldn't chase that down. Uh, he, he just brings something different for him. But he wasn't there. They didn't. And how good is it to be able to be cheering on an Australian team winning this game? So, Lucky, at this point, you must be enjoying the fact that the Western Force are higher than the Waratahs on the ladder as a Queensland fan. Oh, I am. I am. But I, re I really quickly have to take it back to the game because I don't know how much of a front row purist panel this can be at times, but the front-up battle between Ethan de Groot and Santiago Medrano mm. had me in raptures the whole time. Santi was all over at the start and then De Groot started getting them back. I just, for the for the rugby purists out there who are sitting back in a jersey that's too tight for them like me, that was the best part of the whole game, watching those two go at it. So big shout out to the big boys up front. But yes, of course I'm thrilled that the reforms are above the Tars. I'm thrilled that the Reds are above the Tars. It's the best thing possible, aside from beating a New Zealand team, which we're famously not very good at at the moment from a Reds perspective. So we'll take a bit of that um, Western Force fairy dust and sprinkle it on us. And we've got the Highlanders, I'm pretty sure, at Suncorp in a couple of weeks. So maybe we can do the same thing. Um, but we'll need a bit of luck before then with some games against the Blues as well coming up. Well, pretty significantly, the Reds are at home against the Force this coming weekend. Mm -hmm. So that will be a big match. Um, the Force have a two-game tour ahead of them. So got the Reds away, Crusaders away before two games home against uh, Fiji and the Brumbies. So some pretty tough games for them coming up. Not sure if uh, 
they'll get much out of the Crusaders or the Brumbies, but they're going to consider themselves a good shot against the Reds, who have had the news that Brad Thorne is going to be stepping down as coach at the end of the 2023 season, surprising nobody. And they'll also think they can get up at home against the Drua as well. I'm expecting so, big things from Bunabalu when he gets back on the field for the Reds this year. Uh, we we heard the the whispers from Wallabies camp that the first thing that Eddie Jones did uh, as Wallabies coach with the team was walked in in full Wallabies kit with a cattle prod and said, "Where's Bunavalu?" So if that doesn't get you the the kick up the butt that you need to start giving it 110, percent I don't know what is. Mate, did you see the um, social media post where they're talking about oh who's the fastest in the team? And somebody mentioned Bunavalu. And I'm like, mate, the front row forwards are faster than him at the moment. He's running on half a hammy still. So I don't understand what, like, maybe they're, maybe they're thinking him at his peak, he's going to be the fastest. I don't know. But hopefully, hopefully both the Reds and the Wallabies can get the best out of him because he's an absolute specimen and deserves it. Um, but, Lucky, I think, mate, is there anything else that you wanted to quickly cover and then throw it to Mitch from this game before we move on? I think we're done and dusted with that. Looking forward to having full set of games as opposed to all these truncated bye weeks, though. This has yep. really been a tough slog these past three weeks. Don't get me started. Definitely. Mitch, anything about this game or are we happy to move on? I think next weekend, as much as I'm loath to do this as a Waratahs fan, bring it back to the Waratahs. But the Waratahs do host the Highlanders this, this Friday night in Sydney. So I think that's going to be a real litmus test to see how... That puts a real question mark and it probably ends the Waratahs season. If the Waratahs can beat them, then that, that shows that the Highlanders really probably don't deserve to sneak into the eight either. Mm, yeah, there's some good points that you made in there. And I mean, the finals machinations and shake the way it's going to shape up requires somebody with a far better spreadsheet and far more interested mind for numbers than I have. So I kind of just let it all play out and then, and then see in a wash up. But Either way, I think we have probably spoken enough about the Force and more about the Force than we really have in this entire season. So you're welcome, Sea of Blue. You've, you've done it. You've got onto the match of the round. You're welcome. And it's been great being able to cheer on the team from the West. Well done. So from here, why don't we move now into our third and final section for the pod, which is a Super Rugby shakeup. Let's go. All right, we're finishing off the pod this week with a new segment. Uh, this is, since we've got Lockie on, we thought he had a, a great little bit of, I guess, social media wizardry this week and, and highlighted a few points on shaking up Super Rugby. So we thought we'd, we'd dive into that in a little bit more detail, get the discussion flowing um, and talk around some of the ideas that Lockie presented. So these are your ideas for shaking up Super Rugby and how the competition can be better moving forward. Yeah, well, there are a couple of them. It's they're often you know, shower thoughts. So you're sitting by yourself on a day having a big think about the world of rugby and how we can fix it from our couch. And this is one of the little nuggets that popped up. I constantly reflect uh, when thinking about Super Rugby about how rapid our expansion was from looking at Super 10 to Super 12 in that professional era. And then all of a sudden you blink your eyes and we had the Southern Kings and the Sun Wolves and the cheaters, and it just kept going and going and going. And we lost so much momentum over that time. This is my thought personally anyway, of the, both the strength of the competition and the, the fanaticism of its supporter base. 
And so when I think about Super Rugby and the kind of product that I want to share, I imagine Super Rugby as being that, as being a super competition, one that's fast-paced, one that's exciting, one that gains fans' attention, but most importantly, prepares us for an international season. We know that a lot of revenue is driven through Wallabies tests and not necessarily Super Rugby. So how can we get the best of both worlds? How can we get a competition that is punchy, that doesn't lose that momentum over the three buys, and most importantly, keeps our attention as fans? So my idea, my shower idea, call it that, (laughs) is to bring the competition back to the original Super 12 format with a little twist. So that's having 11 rounds. It's home and away. It's as simple as that. And with the addition of Super Round that we've seen over the past few years, regardless of its location, it offers that neutral venue for most people. In fact, for almost all teams. So you get five home, you get five away. It's really simple. You play run once. It's a balanced draw. There's no worrying about playing the Crusaders twice. No worry about playing Moana twice. You really even it out and make it a clear and easy process to follow. And that leads me nicely into Super Round. And what we've seen from Super Round so far is that, in theory, it's a fun idea. We're mirroring the Magic Rounds, the Super League Round originally where it was taken from the UK, whatever they called it particularly, and it's been copied again by the Aussie rules with Gather Round. It can be a successful model, but if we are Super Rugby Pacific, where's the Pacific nature of Super Round? We need to keep it there. So we see those home crowds in La Toka and Suva. We saw, despite what the cameras were trying to show you from the bank where all the supporters were, there was a good turnout in Apia. <laughs> so can we try and bring it to the islands? Can we make that a part that also helps support our Pacific teams with an additional home game on a rotational basis? Because sure as hell, the Blues don't need one. Crusaders don't need one. The Brumbies don't need one. If we want to keep this a fair and equitable competition, I think that this could be a good opportunity. I'll get into some of the um, feedback I've had from that in a tick, though, because it's been it's been interesting. And finals, top six finals. I don't know a single person who has been able to give me a strong, constructive answer to why top eight has been successful, or even if it is successful. More Aussie team. I think that there I, you go. More Aussie team. <laughs> well, exactly. That's what it comes in down theory. to, isn't it? In theory. So I would really like to see, from a personal perspective, and all this is personal as well is to see a clear delineation between our top and our bottom sides. Make that a real scrappy contest between your six and seven. Because right mm-hmm. now, we're seeing what the Reds are in sixth from memory. Yep. They're three and five. Is that really a top six side? We don't know, but we can sure as hell make sure that that sixth position is a scrap fest through the season. Because it is short, because it is sharp, we can have those last three or four rounds have enormous impact. On the contest we don't see this huge split that's already begun but we know that a few teams that probably don't deserve to play finals will slip in and ultimately become cannon fodder for the ones and the twos so you have a 3v6 a 4v5 you make that your knockouts your quarterfinals your elimination finals have one you shape it then one plays the b two plays the a you make sure that your top two has that incentive of a bye week as well that's a really crucial part and feeds into a final over the course of that, you're looking at a 14-week competition, 15 if you want to throw a buy mid-year. And that sets us up really nicely from a start if you wanted to do it next year, from the 1st of March through to the end of May, and then bang, we're straight into test season, which ultimately, as Wallaby fans and Australian rugby fans, is what we want to see. We want to see Wallaby tests. The final part of this is attendance. And I'll wrap this up really quick because I know people are going to get bored already. But we want to see games in packed-out stands. That's what we, we don't want to see an empty Suncorp or an empty Eden Park or an empty wherever. It's not good for the game. It's not good for the fan experience as well. And 
rival codes do fan experience better than rugby union. That's one thing that becomes abundantly clear when you go to the games. So we want to downsize our fields and downsize so it's packed so the atmosphere builds. I would love to see the Reds at Ballymore all the time, not just our Super W ladies, which I think is an excellent move, but I want to see the men there too. I want to see the Highlanders take those games to Invercargill and pack it out, or the Hurricanes to Palmerston North. The atmosphere at those games from what we could see on the broadcast was excellent. That's personally my perspective on a couple of ways we could fix Super Rugby, and there's a lot of info there. I've done a lot of talking. But ultimately, I do think that it gives us a benefit in the international space. We get a clear window for Wallabies prep, for All Blacks prep leading into the July or the June series. We get that space for an extended rugby championship for six games plus the Bledders low. And we open up that end of year test window. And for whatever World Rugby wants to do with their, you know, non-World Cup, World Cup competition that they want to put together, this gives us more space to do that. So I'll throw it back to you guys. I talked for about five minutes straight and mostly from my mouth. So please hit me and tell me what you've got in respect to any of that. Yeah, look, um, I'll jump in first with one point. And for me, it's about further reducing the amount of professional games that Mm. our players are getting. So we spoke about this. It was one of the points that I made a while back uh, on the pod, looking at the respective careers of Marcus Smith for Harlequins Mm. over in England versus Noah Lullacy for the Brumbies at... um, at the Brumbies, obviously. And so he, they are one year apart in age. Um, Marcus Smith is one year older, but he has played 125, 133. He's basically played about 130 top level games for Harlequins, right? Um, in, in his career. And he's played for about one year more than. And that was at that year. time too. So it's more now. That was like a year and a half ago. Yeah. Oh, no, no. I'm, I'm looking at the actual stats. Oh, you are right now? now. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah. And so it's, it's about 130. And then Noel Elisir right now has played 43 games for the Brumbies. So we're looking at a factor of three times more professional rugby games at a incredibly tough competition playing against some of the best teams in Europe that Marcus Smith has got. And look... I just worry about reducing the amount of professional games that we have for our players to be developing in if we don't have something else for them to be participating in. So if there was a meaningful third tier of rugby, such as the NRC, that players could be continuing to develop in, I would be more supportive of kind of reducing or refining is probably refining is a better way of saying it, the the games. Um, that's kind of my take initially. Mitch, what was your initial response to some of what Lockie was putting forward and the great ideas that he's Yeah, suggested? I actually really like it. I am, my The big winner for me is the re- reduction of buys. I think we need to get rid of those in Super Rugby. Even if we continue doing, what is it now, 15 rounds plus finals, even if we stick with that format and the amount of games, get rid of the buys. We've already seen this year that teams, like 2023 is its own base in a World Cup year with... Wallabies and All Blacks rest protocols, players not able to play a certain amount of games in concession, uh, having to have a certain amount of time off, miss a certain amount of games, whatever it is, depending on which team they represent. We've seen across the board, teams are doing different things in terms of their buys and their rest protocols. The Waratahs this week basically had a buy. And say what you want, they dropped all of their Wallabies and they filled the space with all these guys who had less than five Super Rugby caps. Like Mahi Vailanu, Tolilatu comes off the bench. Dave Parecki's not available, but 
still it, it it's not good enough and it, it they've essentially thrown that game away and it's no longer competitive the brumbies did pretty much the same thing against the crusaders earlier in the season or was it like round three at that point and so it was only a few, few games like a couple of games ago it was only like two rounds ago so six seven it was before super round wasn't it or just after super round yeah. Anyway, it was recent. Anyway, I don't think it was that recent, but anyway, that's fine. Um, and so we're just seeing that it it doesn't make a whole lot of sense in terms of uh, resting players ha- needing to have a whole week off. I don't think we're playing enough rugby at the moment to warrant having a whole week off for a team. I think it, it's just it stalls momentum when we see the competition with only twelve teams and you have two or three teams a week having a bye, and we only end up getting. Was it four weeks now? We've had three or four games a weekend. It just stalls momentum completely. It's just an absolute drain. Don't even get me started on the fantasy side effects of that. It's just a nightmare. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's just an absolute bore in terms of the competition. And you can't get a real sense of how teams are going if they're not taking their best 15 every single week to play. Um, yeah. So if we remove the buys, 100%, I think we need to get rid of it. And look, Mitch, if I may, I think part of the rationale behind the 11-round system is that every game does matter. And with the top six finals, you can't afford to have that rest. You can't afford to go, oh, I don't want to tour with my best team to Christchurch and get pumped. Let's just hold a couple back and we can slip into the eight. That gets thrown off the table. It's a really short, punchy competition where every game matters massively. And I think that's the benefit that we get. It becomes that, yes, I understand that you want match fitness, that you play so many games in the Northern Hemisphere. And I'll take you to a comment on this exact post to reflect this in just a tick. But I think by reducing the number of games, you heighten the excitement, you heighten the meaning behind each game. And also that's going to draw back your crowd. There's not the excuse of there's another game in a week. There's another game in two weeks. I'll get to that one. Every experience of Super Rugby is at a premium. And then people attend that, people pay for that, and we start building momentum there into a Wallaby season. But I have certainly not got a lot of positive response from this. There's been some, particularly around the top six finals, but I'll read you this one. Uh, <laughs> less, games is the dumbest, less games is the dumbest idea ever. I'm removing some of the exploiters. Uh, copy the Northern Hemisphere. Everyone plays twice, once home, once away. If that's too many, guess what? Build your squad, rotate your players, give youth a chance and increase your depth. And there's many good points in that. That's reflected in a lot of the uh, conversations that have been on there about why don't we have such a long competition? Why don't we have 22 rounds? Why can't we make it work? And for mine, the answer is that people aren't buying our product yet. How can we expand it? How can we make the most of that and justify the expenditure of adding another seven rounds when people aren't paying for this already? Yeah. We really, I, in my mind, I want to see that reduced and turned into the perfect product before we make it bigger. But I'm really keen to get more feedback on this. We're not really in a position to change things, but it's certainly good to chat. I don't hate the idea of doing like a Super Rugby Pacific as an 11-week competition as having it just as home and away, the best of the best, and, and you play Super Rugby AU and Super Rugby Aotearoa either before or after as their mm-hmm. own competitions to have that extra amount of game times and that extra amount of cohesion and squad depth. I think that could be a winning formula for both Australia and New Zealand moving forward. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really interesting point. Um, For me, I really liked what you're saying about some of the changes to grounds. 
within um, Super Rugby. So obviously the Waratahs are not going to be able to move any away from Alliance because of the rebuild and the kind of contractual obligations that they'll definitely have there. Um, but I think that there could be some good arguments maybe for the Reds, for some of the non-Derby games, for some of those to be at Ballymore. Uh, that could be something that would be, and I'm, I don't think that's crapping on them at all. It's just saying that um, I think packing out a smaller venue, which is quite meaningful still to Queensland rugby, would be a good option for them too. Um, and yeah, the Rebels have struggled to bring a crowd into Double AMI Park, so maybe there's somewhere else that could do with feeling that like a ten thousand seater stadium. And when you cram five, six, seven thousand people into it, it really is a different vibe. Um, I really like that idea, Lockie. So yeah, push that through. Contacts at RA, just make it happen, mate, please. Yep. On that Ballymore point, <laughs> I have seen some some uh, things on social media. This same question has been asked of the amount of money that's getting put into it and why the Reds aren't playing more out of it. And the, I mean, I'm not a Brisbane-based person. I've never been to Ballymore in my life. But from what people have said online, it seems like it's quite um, suburban or like it's not easily accessible. It doesn't have public transport to or from. You kind of have to get there. Then there's nowhere to park for fans. So it probably doesn't solve those aspects and those sides of things, particularly if you want to play a, a super rugby game on a Friday night and there's streets everywhere that are going to be full with car parks and people streaming out at, at the end of the game and just causing a bit of a ruckus. I think that might be a bit of a detractor for um, the Reds, but yeah, interesting to see what happens. Mm. Yeah, Ballymore's part of the redevelopment for the Olympic um, Grand Precinct in Brisbane. So I know that there's a push to get a bus transit centre um, out at uh, that Ballymore um, precinct because it is going to be so important for hosting field hockey, field climbing, other things like that for the Olympics. So I'd personally love to see it. Ballymore, for me, is still the home of Queensland rugby and getting 10,000 there, including a full 4X hill, would be something to see at a super rugby level. But we'll leave that chat there, I reckon. Mate, what I'll quickly just say is I'm just looking at a map. Um, you just really quickly get a bunch of coaches to line up at the end of Caxton Street uh, before the game and then just bust them along. It'll be like a 10-minute trip. They'll be there easily. And it would still keep that ability to go to Caxton Street. That'll be fun. Anyway, enough on that point. And Mitch, over to you. I was going to say, all great comments. Uh, Lockie, well done there. I think... Super Rugby Pacific as it currently sits, we know it's locked in now until, what, 2030 or 2032 or something, um, but we're not at the finished product yet and there's still a lot of improvement that can be made in this competition. So I think all the points that you raised are very valid and I think it's it's going to take people like us to come up with these suggestions and to keep pushing it and to keep making those voices heard before the administrators start to realise that what they're doing isn't working and we need to actually start to, to look at the product and see what changes we can make to make that more accessible for the fans. Fantastic. Well, that, thanks everyone for getting this end of this part of the pod. Uh, we'll wrap it up there for this week. We'll be back again next week. If you're in Sydney um, and attending the Waratahs game on Friday night, we will be there as well. So do come down and say hi if you are um, going to attend and, and keep an eye out for the pick and drive rugby hats as they walk around through the stadium. Brilliant. Very keen for it. Thanks again for being here, Mitch. Lockie, great to be on the pod with you. And ladies and gentlemen, have a wonderful week. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye.